Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Good. Hope that this didn't ruin anyone's day or anything. Um, <laughs> it did. Okay. Well, there are bigger issues there then. Um, I'm glad to, to be with you guys here today. Um, if you're new, want to welcome you here today. We're glad to have you with us. And uh, I'd love to, to get to know you after service. If you want to come and introduce yourself, that would be great. Um, As we begin today, it is my prayer that Jesus would be magnified and the beauty of Christ would cause true worship to him with our entire lives. And for those who are in need of a savior, I would invite you to delight in his word today. Uh, Let's open it with a word of prayer. Um, Father, we thank you that we are able to to gather here today. God, would we um, just be people who seek after the treasures of your kingdom. God, would we love to do the things that you love Uh, Would we uh, just take after the character of you? Would we just be um, just so uh, enmeshed with who you are that we cannot help but be that way as well? Um, And would we just, again, seek after uh, your kingdom and the treasures that belong to you rather than the kingdom of this world? God, we love you. Praise in your name. Amen. All right, I want to ask you uh, a question to begin. Uh, the question is this, what is, what is worth it to you, right? What is worth your time, your money, and your energy? What do you invest in? I'll tell you guys a, a little bit of a story. So when I was a child, like every good Canadian boy, I invested in hockey cards, right? Um, my brother and I, we really loved hockey. I remember Sunday or Saturday nights getting to, to stay up a little bit later and watch some hockey with my dad a little bit before uh, bedtime. It was something that I really enjoyed. Hockey was a, a bit of a passion for me. So eventually when I was old enough to get an allowance, um, I would use it to go and buy hockey cards, right? And so Whenever I could, I would go to the store, I would buy a pack of cards, and it was really exciting to, to open them up and to see if I had, like, if there was someone, like, really famous in, in that, that pack of cards. That, that maybe that was worth something, right? Um, I even had, like, this big binder with uh, all these plastic sleeves to store the, the cards to keep them in good condition. And, and so I was, like, super invested in it, right? I remember one evening, though, um, my brother and I were, were looking through our cards, and we were talking about autographs, right? I was explaining to him, I was like, hey, you know that if you have a card that has an autograph on it, that it is going to be worth more than a card that is unsigned, that does not have an autograph, right? And so we, we were talking on about autographs, getting all excited about, like, the, the possibility of, like, oh, one day maybe we'll have an autographed card or whatever, um, and as we were talking, I got this idea. And so what I did, um, I went to my parents, uh, and I wanted to see if my idea would pan out. And so what I did was I asked them the question. I said, Mom, Dad, what is an autograph? And, and they said to me something like this. They said something like, an autograph is when someone signs their name on something, 
whether that is a jersey or a photo or, uh, you know, a hockey card or whatever. And I got really excited. I thought, this is perfect because guess what? I am someone and I know how to sign my name. <laughs> and so I went back to my room and I proceeded to write the names of all my favorite hockey players all over the cards, knowing that as they sat there, that they were going to continue to increase in value. And someday that they would be worth a lot of money. I, I was essentially forging the signature of all the hockey greats. Um, and I was really proud of myself, too. The whole time I was thinking, I was like, how has nobody thought about this, right? I got more and more excited at the, uh, every single card that I wrote on. I thought this card would probably cost me 20 cents, and now it might be up to $200. And, and so anyways, after I did this uh, to a number of my cards, I went and I showed my parents uh, and, and so that they could celebrate with me how smart I was, right? I was fully expected for, for them to say, Graham, you genius, you did it. We can finally pay off our mortgage. And that is not obviously what happened. <laughs> Why do I share that though? Well, because what once was worth something for me, it instantly became worthless. What I had valued so much, what I had spent my time and my money doing, all of a sudden had no worth. So that is what I want us to explore today. What is worth it for you? What is worth your time, your money, your energy? We all have things that we invest in. What is that for you? And are you investing in the right things? Today we are continuing in our series in the book of Matthew. If you are new to this series, this book goes through the story of Jesus. So it tells of his life. Um, it's filled of, of many of Jesus' teachings, parables he told, and miracles that he did. And it culminates around his death and resurrection. There's a, a central theme that runs through this book, and that is that Jesus is king. So in this book, we see Jesus contrasted to the kings that ruled during his day. And we see that the message Jesus continued to share throughout his life was that the kingdom of God was at hand. God's kingdom was about to be ushered in. And Jesus was about to do that. And we see that at the end of the book, Jesus is crowned as king. But it is not in the way that we would expect Instead of a, a crown of gold, he's given a crown of thorns. Instead of being seated upon a throne, he's seated upon a cross. And so all throughout this book, we're, we're given pictures of what the kingdom of God is like and what it is not like. It is not this picture of prosperity and riches in how we view wealth. Rather, it is a picture of delighting in Jesus, no matter, how, no matter what our circumstances are, and being satisfied with his rule and his reign in our lives, even in the darkest situations. And so, this is a lot of what we're focusing on throughout this series in Matthew. As a reminder, over the past uh, couple of weeks, we've been going through a section in Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. So this is a sermon that Jesus told his disciples as he was going throughout different regions proclaiming the kingdom of God. Uh, the sermon takes up about three chapters of this book. And so we'll be in it for the next couple of weeks. Today what we're going to do is something a little bit different. What we're going to do is we're splitting up our text a little bit. So here's what I mean. So... What we're going to do uh, is we're going to start by going through the first four verses of chapter 6. 
And then we're going to skip down to verse 19 and read to the end of the chapter. So the reason why we're doing this is because sandwiched in between uh, this is a section called the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. And what I want us to do is we're going to spend a week just focusing on this prayer. And the, the, the first four verses and the last few, uh, they, they um, have some, some common themes that we're going to be talking about today. Um, so let's begin by reading our text for today. Today, again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, on the back table, which we've nicely made a little bit more visible, uh, there are Bibles on there, and you can have one of those. If you don't have one, that is our gift to you. So, um, again, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be, and we're going to begin in verse 1. So this is Jesus speaking. He says this. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness, your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. If we skip down to verse 19, Jesus continues. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at, look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They to neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Let's pray again and we'll get into our, our text. God, again, just ask that you would illuminate this text for us. Um, as we are handling such a, a large portion of scripture, God, would you just impress on our hearts just a curiosity to, to go deeper and deeper into your word. Um, God, would you use me as a vessel to, to just preach your word and, and would you just be glorified in all that we do today? Would we uh, earnestly seek you in our lives and would we live for uh, the treasures of the kingdom of God rather than the treasures of this world? We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, let's dive right in here again. This is part of a sermon that Jesus told his disciples. And as we just read, this section begins with a warning. Right? He says, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. So he begins by getting at the motive for doing good works. Right? What's the reason for living a good life? Let me ask us, us this today. How many of us have done something good for the wrong reasons? I think we can all say that we've probably done this. Have you ever done something good to get the attention of someone that you liked? Right? Or how about volunteering because it makes uh, your resume look a little bit better? Maybe you, you boast about how much money you give away or how generous you are with what you have. Jesus warns us here not to do good things in order to be seen by others. But wait, you might think, a couple of weeks ago we talked about doing good works so that others would see, right? If you remember in chapter 5, Jesus is telling his disciples to be salt and light. And he tells them this. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So Jesus, in this very same sermon, has already told us, do good works so that others would see them. And that might be troublesome if he had just stopped there. But he doesn't. He keeps going. He says, so that they may see your good works and what? And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is the right purpose for our good works, the glory of God. So the concern here is who gets the praise when you do good works? Who is made most of when you do good things? Is it you or is it God? What Jesus is concerned about is treasuring the praise of others around you. We may do uh, amazing things to help out the poor uh, or those experiencing misfortune, and yet Jesus tells us what matters most is our motive. Are you in it for your praise or are you in it for the praise of your father? To be seen or for God to be seen? I'll admit it is hard not to seek the praise of others, isn't it? I know it is for me. I'm, I'm sure many of us can relate to, to wanting to be praised. It feels good when, when people recognize what we do. It feels nice to be noticed. We, we want people, uh, we want to show people our worth based on what we've done. Let me show us why that's the wrong attitude, though. It is because our worth isn't in what we do. It is that we were made in the image of God. Our good works aren't meant to point to how good we are. They're meant to point to how good God is. Who cares if someone thinks of what, think, what someone thinks of me if I'm confident that I'm loved by Christ? Your worth is not found in what others think about you. It's found in what God thinks about you. And you are deeply loved by him. 
so much that he sent Jesus to pay the infinite debt of your sin. Romans says, scarcely will someone, will one die for a righteous person, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what makes Jesus worthy. And so we do good works to point to Jesus because he is worthy to be praised. He deserves the glory, not us. And while the praise of others may feel temporarily good, it will never be enough. It is an insecurity that nothing can fill except by knowing the love of the Father. And so let me ask you this today. What is worth it for you? The temporary praise of others or the infinite love of God the Father? I pray that we would be so confident in our status with the Father that our lives would overflow with good works without a care in the world for acknowledgement. But a heart that would say, look at what my good God has done for me. Are you investing in praise from others or are you living for the glory of God? Uh, in, in the latter verses of this chapter, Jesus focuses on investing in material things, right? What we see here is he addresses three things. He addresses food, money, and clothing. And one thing I want us to, to notice here is that these things are all essentials, right? They are all essential for living. Money, food, and clothing, we need these all to live. And so what is he getting at here? Jesus wants us to value the kingdom of God more than even the essentials of life. He wants us to say, living for the kingdom of God matters more to me than what kind of food I eat, what kind of clothes I wear, or how much is in my bank account. In verse 25, he talks about anxiety. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Let me suggest that when Jesus talks about anxiety, he's not talking about clinical anxiety. He's, he's not talking about a, a physiological response to not having enough. But rather, anxiety has to do with what we care about or what we value. So whether you have little or a lot, you may wrestle with contentment over what God has provided. So this is not about how much you have but your satisfaction with what you have. Our call is to, to trust God, trust that God values us enough to provide for us. And so rather than be consumed about the latest restaurant that opened or your new summer clothes or hitting up a terrace or the canal for a picnic every hot day this summer, be consumed with the will of God and be satisfied in his provision. Um, I've been reading a book called Prayer. Uh, it's by an author named John uh, I'm going to butcher his last name. John Onwuchekwa. Did I get that? You guys don't know. On John Onwuchekwa. Got it. And he writes about uh, what he does. He's writing about the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to talk about next week. But I, I found this section very relatable to our passage today as we talk about trusting God's provision. So he's talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer. And he talks about our daily bread. He says this, he says, Jesus first tells us to ask for our daily bread. Notice he wants us to pray for daily bread, not weekly bread, not monthly bread, not a trust fund, not a nice little nest egg. He wants us to rely upon God daily. 
Jesus' point here is similar to Agar's in Proverbs 30, verses 8 to 9. This is what Agar prays. He says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He says, do you see, Agar isn't simply interested in having his needs met. He wants to ensure the name of God isn't profaned, whether with too much or too little. He says, too much says God is unnecessary. Too little says he is unconcerned. So give me just what I need today and I'll come back tomorrow. Keep me constantly dependent on you so that every day the way I relate to your provision says you are the sufficient supplier of my needs. How wild would it be if we had that kind of attitude towards God the provider? Give me just what I need so that I have enough. Not too much so that I don't need you. Not too little so that I profane you. I pray that we would rely on him daily because we need to. We see this lived out in the early church in Acts. Acts 2 says, and speaking of the early church, it says, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Those who had enough gave to those who had need. The church was so focused on providing for one another so that no one had any need. They were not concerned with making sure they had the latest iPhone or the best food. They were concerned with the welfare of their neighbor, those in their church. That is what treasuring the kingdom of God is about. In, in a final example here, Jesus talks about being clothed like the lilies. And he talks about King Solomon. So he says in, in verse 28, he says, Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Um, in the mornings, uh, Skylar and I have been reading through the book of 1 Kings. And we recently read about Solomon. Uh, if you're familiar with the book, it, uh, the, the book of 1 Kings, it tells of Solomon as he becomes king of Israel. Solomon became a very wealthy king, more than any other Israelite king. There's one part of this story that is, is very crucial to the rest of it. Right, so I want us to look at 1 Kings chapter 3. So as Solomon has just become king, he is, he's visited by God in a dream. And what God says to him is this. He says, ask of me whatever you want. Whatever you want. Go ahead and ask, he says. And so this is what Solomon says in response. He says this. He says, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. This is what he says. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? And this is what God says. It says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, 
Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. Here's what I want us to see about that. Solomon treasured the things that God loved and God provided for him. Right. Solomon could have said, give me all the riches in the world. He could have said, let me be known for my wealth or give me so many resources that I will never have to worry again. But he says, give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. Rather than wealth, he asks for wisdom. And God provides him with both. Please do not mishear me today. I'm not saying that this is some cookie-cutter form to get rich. Not at all. What I am saying is that if your hopes and desires are set, uh, are set on the things that God loves, then you will get abundantly more than you need. If your heart is set on the things of heaven, God will provide that. He will provide what cannot be taken or destroyed because he will provide what is eternal. Oh, how much better it is that that is than pursuing things that will fade. Right? How much better it is to say, if I set my mind on what God loves, what I wear, what I eat, or what I own, none of that matters. If you treasure loving your neighbor as yourself, even if that isn't reciprocated, you will understand the love that God has for you, even when you don't reciprocate it. And that love is worth treasuring. If you treasure caring for the needy, you will understand God's heart for those who need him. And that is worth investing in. If you treasure God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, then you will find that he will reign in your life. You will love the things that he loves. And you will live to become selfless like Christ was. And that has far more worth than the fleeting things of this world. When you start to care about the things that God loves, clothing, food, and money will mean so little to you. It won't matter what coffee you buy, where you get your clothes from, how good you look to be seen by others. Your self-worth is not in how you look or what you eat or how much money you have. It is in the satisfaction of Jesus. All of us have confidence when we feel good, right? When we've eaten a nice meal, when we, when we wear something that makes us feel good or look good, when we feel like we have money, that is nothing exceptional. And what Jesus is saying is that those things are so fleeting. They are so temporary. But what will never change is God's love for you. And if you truly believe that, you would have all the confidence in the world to live for the kingdom of God without worrying about what others think about you, without a care for what you wear or what you drink or how much money you have. Lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where, th not, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The treasures of heaven will not be destroyed. They cannot be taken from you. They are eternal because they are from an eternal God and they are worth so much more than the praise that you think you deserve or the material things of this world. Let me ask you again, what are you investing in? What are you, what do you in, invest in here on this earth matters for eternity. 
And while these things might seem attractive, the pursuit of praise from others, money, food, or clothing, they have just as much as value as a hockey card with your name written on it. Oh, that we would seek the kingdom more than all things, even essentials. So are you investing in this world or are you investing in the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is what is truly worth living for. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.